John 1.14 says, The Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Our prayer is that you might see God's love and faithfulness as you listen to our Sunday morning message here at First Methodist Bryan. It's good to be with you all today. I appreciate the invitation of Pastor Rick Sitton to speak to you today. And I also am glad Chris mentioned that the, the children's musical meant extra decorations. I don't think I've ever preached where Lost was on the, the pulpit. I'm almost tempted to put my hand over it so all you can see is found today. But anyway, we're glad to be with you. I'm glad uh, to see some of the members of our Asbury Sunday school class too. I'm, I'm shocked they actually came. Uh, but anyway, I'm here and we'll be double-heading uh, speaking to them today, teaching after this service, and then preaching again at 11 o'clock. Today we're going to look at a fairly short passage from the book of Hebrews, the very end of the 10th chapter and beginning of chapter 11. So I'd like to read these three verses to you, and they um, from the New International Version. So hear the word of the Lord. But my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is the word of God for the people of God. You know, sometimes if you are not fully committed to a task, you can wind up in a lot of trouble. Most summers, we would spend a week at my grandparents' place up in East Texas. They retired to about 50 acres south of Jacksonville. And for those of you who are too young to comprehend, these were prehistoric times. And uh, there were no smartphones, there was no internet, there was literally one channel on the TV. They could get Tyler on a good day, and uh, no video games, none of that. So my younger brother and I had to invent things to do to entertain ourselves in the summer. And one summer we came up with an interesting game that actually involved combat between the two of us, which actually that, that was something we enjoyed anyway. And the game we invented was something we called Yellow Top Weed Fights. Now, you have to understand, these are weeds that grow in fields or pastures. I've seen them around here, so you may, you may know. They, they grow about this tall and these little yellow flowers. I don't know the Latin name. If we have some Aggie agronomist in the room, they may inform me after the service, but we called them yellow top weeds. That's what they were. And we discovered in the sandy soil of my grandparents' pasture, at the bottom of the weed and pulled it up, the roots would keep the dirt on it. And this made a very nice weapon to hurl at your brother. So this was what we did. Uh, two or three afternoons, and we would go and 
select our ammunition and then come after each other. So we were in the middle of one of these yellow top weed fights in the lull in which we were searching for ammunition when suddenly I looked out in the, in the pasture and I saw what had to be the mother of all yellow top weeds. It was twice as big as any of the other ones in the pasture. And uh, I could not understand what, what was the secret of this weed's success. Why was it so enormous? Now you understand this was a cow pasture. And when I looked at the bottom of the weed, I understood why it was so huge. It was well fertilized. And I became elated because I realized there at my feet, with respect to my brother, was a weapon of mass destruction. I reached down and I pulled up that weed and all of the payload, preserving it. And then I put it behind my back and started walking towards my brother. Now, he had his ammunition, but I didn't care if he hit me because it was only dirt, mind you. I got so close to him that there was no way I could miss. I let him throw his weeds at me and get the dirt on me. And then slowly I pulled mine from behind my back. His eyes got this big because he knew the end was near. And then the next thing he knew, all of the contents on the root structure of the yellow top weed was exploding on his chest. And it was, quite frankly, a beautiful moment. <laughs> the next thing I saw was a change in my brother's expression. His face turned red, steam was coming out of his ears, and I realized the next thing that was about to happen was he was going to kill me. So I turned around and started running as fast as I could across the pasture. And I had run perhaps 20 or 30 yards when I came to the edge of the woods and I happened to see my grandfather's electric fence that he put up to keep the cows in. It's about this high off the ground. And fortunately, I saw the fence in time to vault over it. My brother, though, bent on my destruction, did not see the electric fence. And he got so close to it that he could not commit to jumping over it. And so what I saw behind me was this scene that looked like it was out of an old Roadrunner cartoon. He was skidding towards the fence like the Roadrunner going to the edge of the cliff. And when he got to the electric fence, he literally went over it and he came to this place where he was perfectly balanced on top of the fence. His, there was so much weight on his hands that he could not stand up and get off the fence. And there was so much weight on his feet that he could not flip forward and get off the fence. And all the meantime, every few seconds, 30 volts was hitting his midsection. Quite frankly, it was the most wonderful moment of my life. Now, I have to tell you, after a few jolts, I did help him off the fence. I've learned that I need to make sure people understand that. He's not still on the fence today. But you understand, he did not jump over the fence. He did not commit to leaping over the fence. And in that time of lack of commitment, he got himself into a lot of trouble. I'm going to tell you today, uh, in a much more serious way, that 
we have to have the approach of life of having confidence to leap over the fence. And the fence that we must leap over in our faith is understood, is the way, the truth, and the life. We have to commit to that. And in the words of the old hymn, he saves us to the uttermost. Too often, though, I think we are guilty of not taking that leap of faith. We don't trust that Christ alone is our salvation. And like my little brother, those many years ago, we put on the brakes and we kind of skid our way through life. Like the scripture says, I take no pleasure, the Lord says, in the one who shrinks back. But I'm telling you today, while that describes us much of the time, it certainly doesn't have to be that way. The scripture also goes on to say at the end, faith what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And so I ask you today, can you commit to take the leap of faith with respect to that statement? I think the most useful word in the English language to describe what we have to do is the word trust. It probably does the best job of describing what faith is all about. And I think it's important that we remember that because today, oftentimes, people talk about faith in very empty terms. People talk about religious faith as simply believing in something, whatever you want to believe in, and it really doesn't matter what. And according to that line of thinking, you can believe in something that really is good, bad, or indifferent, and it really doesn't matter because believing in one thing is just as good as believing in another. And quite frankly, any religion you want to believe in is just as good as anything else. So whatever you want to have faith in is up to you. If you want to believe in yoga, that's fine. If you want to believe in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, that's fine. If you want to believe in the Golo diet, that's fine. Or Jesus, any of them is just as good. But of course, we know that the New Testament does not support that way of thinking. From the New Testament, we know that faith is specifically about our confidence in the revelation which God has made through Jesus Christ as it is contained in Scripture. Faith is about God assuming human flesh through Christ and accomplishing his saving work by way of our Lord's passion, death, and resurrection. And more than that, and more specifically than that, the saving work of Jesus Christ has your name and mine written all over it. In all of this, the idea of trust comes into play in the sense that we are called to live by an assurance of that which we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for, the scripture says, and assurance about what we do not see. The electric fence that we are called to leap over is neither one that we do primarily by way of our feelings and experience, nor primarily by way of our intellect. That's important for us to remember. It is rather trusting in the spiritual revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. 
The electric fence of faith we are called to leap over is not one we do so primarily by way of our feelings and experience or primarily by way of our intellect, but rather by trusting in the spiritual revelation of Jesus Christ. If we try, as Scripture warns, to walk only by what we see or experience, we're always going to be subject to whether we're feeling good or bad at a particular time, and our faith is going to have peaks and valleys because of that. When life is good, with respect to Christianity, but when life is not so good, we may be tempted to shake our fist at God and wonder if any of this Christian business is true. And this is where we are called simply to accept the promises of God as being true and valid for us. And then we must commit each day, as the Apostle Paul said, to walk by faith, that is to say by trust and not by sight. It is the assurance about what we do not see. But I also want you to understand today that just as we cannot walk mostly by way of sight, that is to say our feelings or our experience, neither can we walk too much by our intellectual capacities. None of us knows as much as God. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves of that. And if we think that we can conquer God's ways intellectually, we're going to be sadly mistaken. And yet, many people try to do this every single day. And because of this, they're constantly falling prey to their doubts and their skepticism. They may wonder how it is that God possibly could forgive them. They wonder if they deserve to be forgiven. They can't explain how it is that the death of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross accomplishes all of this for them. If we're always trying to figure God's ways out, then this takes the place of simple, confident trust in his promises. And if that happens, we're never going to be able to enter very much into the state of grace. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, as brilliant a person as he was, and he was a very, very smart guy, he hit the nail on the head when he said this, and I want you to listen very closely to this quote of Wesley. In the how of the cross lies the mystery. In the how of the cross lies the mystery. And then he goes on to say, I am not concerned with the how. It is not the object of faith. I only believe what God has revealed and no more. And he says, the how of the cross has not been revealed. What God has revealed, because I cannot fully explain what God has not revealed. Did you get all of that? Wesley was not concerned with the fact that he couldn't, quite, despite all of his deliberations and despite how well-educated he was and how much he thought about theology, in the end, he could not, as a human being, explain exactly how it is that the cross works. It's not a matter of how, it is a that. Do you understand? It has been accomplished for us because it is something that God has done. We all need to listen to those words 
and we need to commit to live by them. God has revealed that, that our sins are forgiven by the way of his son suffering and dying on the cross for us. He has revealed that the death of the suffering servant Messiah atones for our sins and that the blood of Christ establishes a new covenant for all who believe in him. All of this has been revealed and that is the electric fence of faith that we are called to jump over. Now you can think about it, I do. I've given a lot of thought to how the cross works. We can theologize, we can analyze, we can do that all day, but none of us, because we are not God, can fully explain exactly how it works because we are not God. But we are not called to do that. We are called to accept that it has been accomplished for us. We cannot walk mostly by our intellectual capacity any more than we can walk by our feelings. We have to walk by faith alone. And if you're willing to do that, then you will be saved. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. In the last years of his life, my father went completely blind. He began to have eyesight problems when he was about 60 and he, he had to retire early because he could no longer drive. But when he was about 70, he was completely blind and he was totally blind for the last several years of his life. At the place where they retired, um, my dad, after he became blind, he knew that when he got out of bed in the morning in their bedroom, if he got up and if he walked straight ahead, he would come to the door of the bathroom. To the left would be his electric shaver and his toothbrush, and even straight ahead from that, the toilet and the shower, as needed. If he got out of bed and turned to the left, if he walked straight ahead several steps, he would come to the dining table where they ate their meals. If instead he chose to turn to the left, he could go to the front door and go out and sit in his chair on the porch, or he could turn rather to the right, and within a few steps, he would come to the recliner where he could sit and listen to the audio of what was on television, even though he couldn't really see it, or he could listen to something on the radio. He knew every morning when he got up that all of those things would be exactly where they had been the day before. And why did he know that? It's because he had the confidence that the people who loved him would never rearrange the furniture. And that confidence permitted him to have an assurance of that which he could not see. My friends, this is how you and I are called to live every single day. And why? It is because even though 2,000 years has gone by, when it comes to the promises of faith 
contained in this book, God loves us so much that he has never rearranged the furniture. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Gracious God, help us today to walk by faith and not by sight. We pray to have the confident trust in your promises in Christ that not only are they valid, but they also are true for us yesterday, today, and forever. And we give you thanks for this. Thank you for listening with us. We hope that you have encountered the risen Jesus today. If you want to hear more, please consider subscribing. We would also welcome you to join us in person. For more information, please visit us at fmcbryan.org.